Well, good morning, saints. What Jocelyn didn't tell you is that while I spent quite a bit of time yesterday preparing, when I got up this morning, the Lord said, that'll keep. I want you to do something different. Not for the first time, even lately, it would seem. (coughs) You will never become a Christian by doing good works. You can't. Otherwise, a dog has to bark in order to be a dog. And that's not true. The reason is that God never intended you to do good works in order to achieve salvation. We need to understand that. There are a lot of groups around, including some who pretend to be Christians. They say you have to do this and that. In fact, I was just watching um, a little bit of uh, Daystar TV yesterday, and there was a testimony on Andrew Womack's uh, program. This lady, they weren't allowed to dance, they weren't allowed to wear uh, lipstick or earrings. or I mean, it was just a rules-based church. And somebody gave her a television that had no picture but only sound. And she plugged it in and the only sound she could get out of it was Andrew Womack teaching about what it is to become a Christian. So she ended up, um, anyway, she ended up getting it's her, her testimonies on one of the DVDs of testimonies that he was talking about. And I thought... I wonder how many groups are around like that group that she came out of. It nearly cost her her marriage and her family and everything. Um, but now she's in a place where she can be part of the solution and no longer part of the problem. If you're in a rules-based church, you need to leave and find one that where God's welcome. Okay? I don't, th- I don't think anybody here is going to move, but anyway. Okay. Let me look around here. Um, yeah, Trevor and Brenda. I'm looking for a married couple, you see. How many years have you two been married? Forty in November. Hallelujah. So, how did you get along talking to one another? <laughs> I, okay, she's not disagreeing, so that's always progress. <laughs> You see, relationships need communication to have any validity. Um, it's, it's crucial, actually. I was ministering in a smaller town, not more than an hour or so's drive from here, uh, some years ago, and it saddened me that a man came to see me uh, after the service 
and he said his parents, who had been married for over 40 years, shared a house but never spoke a word to each other in five years. She cooked the food and he ate it and that was it. And then they lived totally separate lives and he was weeping for his parents. Um, they had no together, which I thought was really sad. The problem with a lot of people is that even people who pretend to be Christians, is how do we know the will of God for our lives? How do we know the will of God for those around us? I want to give you a bit of a challenge, an invitation if you like. It's your responsibility and mine to learn from the Lord what his plan for your life is. And if life is speeding by and you know that your time on this earth may not be a long, long time, and we're just saying uh, before the service, as Billy Graham says, the statistics are very impressive. One out of every one dies. So we're all going to go that way if the Lord tarries. We know that. But for those who are in the faith, if you like, it's a lot easier because it's not goodbye, it's see you later. That's the big difference. No other religious faith in this world, including secularism, can offer that guarantee. Okay? You need to know the voice of God. So, let me turn you to John chapter 8, verses 26 to 29. John chapter 8. This is Jesus speaking. It's in red, if that's in your Bible. And he says this, I have many things to say to and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak the word, the words that, uh, to the world, rather, those things which I heard from him. He did not understand, oh, sorry, the people did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. And then Jesus said to them this, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself, but only as my Father taught me. I speak these things, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. So we need to know what God wants for our lives in the way that Jesus did, and we know that's an impossible height to reach. Let me give you from the Oxford Dictionary a very interesting definition. To recognize is to identify, to realize and discover the nature of, to admit or to acknowledge the existence or validity or character or claims of. But technical. It's helpful though. In Jeremiah 9 verses 23 and 24, it says this, Thus says the Lord, now people nowadays say that, I always hope that they're right, because the penalty for speaking for God when he didn't speak is quite severe. Thus says the Lord, 
Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in those I delight, says the Lord. And John describes about knowing Jesus in John 17 verse 3. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent, or Jesus the Messiah who you've sent. And John also speaks about the loving God and obeying his teaching. In John fourteen twenty three, if anyone loves me, he said, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So, There are many scriptures that speak about God's desire for us to know him. He knows us, even the embarrassing bits. Okay? You could write, if you're taking notes, Jeremiah 1 verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. And to Jeremiah, he says this, and I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. And in John 10, verses 14 and 27, it says this, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So recognizing God's voice is actually the crucial goal for every fellowship of believers in the world. I can't remember, I was thinking about it this morning, and I can't remember if it was Jack Hayford or Derek Prince who said, the first and fundamental task of all pastoral leaders is to equip and train their people how to hear God for themselves. And if they're a failure in anything else, if they're a success in that, in God's eyes, they're a success. I think it might have been Derek, but it's the sort of thing Derek would say, but um, sure. Thank you for that confirmation, Alan and others. Recognising God's voice first means, well, no, let me put it this way. If you're born again, you've already heard his voice because you had to have heard his voice to respond to it to get born again. Um, was... Thank you, Tom, for the news. Uh, I spoke at the Full Gospel Businessman in Palmerston on um, Monday night, and my purpose, I'm thinking that they're all born-again guys there and probably spirit-filled and so on, and it was just more a motivation thing. And Tom went over to a young man who was helping with the sound system and led him to the Lord. So thank you, Tom. And would you believe it? He lives in Fielding. So we'll see him sometime, I hope. (laughs) He works in fielding. So let me talk to you a little bit about guidance from the Lord. I was sort of, um, I could give you PowerPoint slides, but maybe not today. One of the things 
is God is never caught by surprise. I've often said in all sorts of places, you're never going to hear oops in heaven. It's all planned. Okay? In Luke 18, verse 31, it says, He took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. It's a bit like that time when Jesus is sleeping in the boat and the storm arises and the disciples all get a bit upset. And he said, I said we were going to the other side. We are going to the other side. But this is a little lesson on the way. Okay, we need to see life as a bit like that. It's not always easy. John 4 4 verse 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. There's a lot of starters. It's the finishers that God's looking for. Which reminds me there's jobs around the house that need doing, but that's true of all of us. Maybe we need to check our motives as well. I'm not going to read it, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it describes three kinds of human beings. The carnal person, sarkakis, in Greek, a man or person motivated and dominated and controlled by fleshly desires, both physical and mental. And then it talks about the natural man or person, Sukikos, a man motivated and controlled by the things of the world, and such a person cannot understand spiritual things. I have to tell you, those two are the common ingredient of people who live in fielding. Right through New Zealand, globally. But third, there's the spiritual man. Pneumatikos, pneumatikos, sorry, meaning a man or person controlled by the things of God and his spirit, one who is obedient and responsive to the Holy Spirit. Those are the three kinds that uh, Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you want to do a study. So my question then is, how does God communicate with us? Well, (laughs) I was listening to a tape of David Paulson from England some years ago, uh, he was, I actually met him when he was here in the mid-1980s. He's gone upstairs now, but he'll be back soon. Um, he said he was preaching in an Anglican church in Britain on the subject of how to hear from God. And he very quickly worked out that this was not a congregation who could receive such a word. He said, their blank faces showed that I was wasting my time. So rather than waste the time, he decided he would just give a summary and then dismiss the meeting, which he did. And the summary that he gave was this. If you don't think that you can hear from God, get on your own somewhere and ask him what he doesn't like about you. (laughs) Now, most of us would prefer a more positive way of wording that 
But he dismissed the meeting and shook hands at the door and then went back to the pulpit to get his Bible and notes and so on. And he's gathering them up and a, a woman came rushing in the church door. You know, the Twinset and Pearls Brigade with the purple rinse. Yeah, one of those. And she's loud, loudly saying, God spoke to me, God spoke to me. And he calmed her down a bit and said, so um, what did you do? And she said, well, I sat in my car and I thought I'd try out what you suggested. And I said, Lord, what don't you like about me? And he started off with my gossiping <laughs> and gave some other instructions. Now, we could turn that question a bit more positively, ask God what he does like about you. might be a bit more edifying, but that was what he had done. I think he was just frustrated that nobody was hearing what the Holy Spirit was speaking to them about, and that would be true in a lot of religious meetings, unfortunately. There are three simple tests to help you hear God's voice, and I know you'll know uh, the scripture, in James 4 verse 7. The first one is submit to his leadership, or to his lordship rather. Ask him to help you to silence your thoughts, your desires, your opinions of others, anything that's taking space in your mind at that time. If you wish to get serious in prayer, you probably need a pad and pen, and as things come to mind that probably shouldn't be fitting into that time, Write them down, because the moment you write them down, they'll be gone. You won't have to think about those for the moment. You can come back to them later. As it says in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's really where uh, a lot of people have their struggles. Okay, the second point is this, to resist the enemy. In case he's trying to deceive you, remember the scripture says, even in the last days, the elect could be deceived. Doesn't mean they will be. There's certainly a lot of deception doing the rounds these days. So use the authority that Jesus gave you to silence the voice of the enemy. And that's James 4, 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let me make it real simple. He won't flee from you if you don't resist him. And you don't have the power or authority to resist him unless you're first submitted to God. It's really simple. So, take away his choice. Allow God to speak to you how he will. How does he? Well, we read in the Old Testament the story of Gideon. Put a fleece out. We use that phrase even now. Lord, let the fleece be wet and all the ground damp, uh, dry. Well, that God can organise that. And he still wasn't sure because he was a bit of a wimp anyway. So he said, well, tomorrow, Lord, let the ground be damp and the fleece dry. That was Gideon's way of solving it, and then he had to go and do what he was told to do. 
One of the things that I've noticed over the last probably more 10 years or more is we have a lot of Gideon's revivals. That's when everyone leaves. I'm amazed in, in a large part of the Western world, God seems to be emptying out the institutional church because they're not listening to him and they're not obeying him. I just um, put a thing on my Facebook page this week that a big Methodist stream in America have just um, approved gay marriages within their uh, system. And I'm thinking, well, that's not biblical. The Wesley brothers will be rotating in their graves. There's no other way to explain that. So think of when young Samuel got the advice from his senior and the Lord's voice kept waking him up and he would run to the old man and say, you called? And he said, no, I didn't. And after about the third time, he said, just say, Lord, speak. Your servant he is. I think that's a good thing. A lot of us aren't used to hearing God's voice on a regular basis. People with a prophetic edge often do. Some of them can be embarrassing to be around because they're a bit blunt. But um, that's okay. They're meant to be, actually, uh, in, in a certain measure. Not unpleasant, but um, yeah. So listen with a yielded heart. And sometimes you just need to just pause and be quiet and let him speak. I'm not into automatic writing or some of those occultic things, but God can say things and you can write them down. Uh, just remember, the enemy only has tools that God's already created for good. So the enemy often has uh, other things. God can speak in an audible voice. I've heard it at least twice in my life. Um, the circumstances don't really matter, but many years ago uh, I went to a different um, town uh, on a search for something and I was welcome where I was staying, but I was sort of a bit frustrated that I couldn't find what I was looking for at that particular time. And um, I was reading a book in the sunroom enjoying the sunshine and God spoke, said, you can go home tomorrow. I mean, God's practical. And um, I thought, okay, well, I'm not finding what I was sent here to look for. And it was an act of obedience to go looking. Um, and the interesting thing was, about five minutes later, I went out into the kitchen uh, where the um, couple were preparing dinner for us. There's just an older couple than myself in the house. And the, the wife was well known as being a, a bit prophetic. I think she went to a new life church. And uh, she said, oh, God just spoke to me about five minutes ago that you should go home tomorrow, um, depending on whether you want to or not. And I said, it's funny, you just told me the same. So, but it was an audible one because I looked around to see if there was somebody else in the room. So sometimes God does speak. That's fairly uncommon in my experience. Um, more of how we hear from him. If you've got static on the line, you need to confess any unconfessed sins. 
You need to clear the rubbish out of the road. Uh, that would help. Uh, if you're wanting a scripture for that, Psalm 68, sorry, 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord does not hear me. So there's a, there's a hint for some folks, if that uh, fits. Um, Isaiah 30, verse 21 says, Your ears shall hear a word behind you, saying, This is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. So God will direct your paths. I've known people who have, like, I think of single women who have been out heading home after work, it's getting dark, and they really felt an urge not to go down that street and go around the block. And there was a murder down that street, and it could have been that person. So if he gives you a nudge about something, please do it. It's, it may prevent difficulties. Um, there's the, what I call the axe head principle. You'll find that in Second Kings 6. If you haven't heard from God for a while, go back to the last thing he taught you. And do it, because clearly you haven't. One of the things, how many of you went to school? Let me just ask this. I'd like to think every one of you have, apart from the little toddlers. Um, one of the things that happens in school is the teacher talks and teaches and so on. And then every so often, you're not allowed to talk. You're given a, an, an, a, an exam paper or something. You have to write down what you've learned. The teacher won't talk during that time. Same with God. If he's told you to do something, until you've done it, he may not speak a lot more, apart from to tell you to get on with it. So just to encourage you, if you haven't heard from him for a while, then probably there's something that he needs you to do and that he's already told you. Um, get your own leading. I, I get a little bit troubled when I hear of people, they race to... Um, the man of God that comes into town and he's got a prophetic word for everyone. I remember cooking for a New Life Church camp one time, many, many years ago, and there was about 200 young people at this camp, and um, his teaching was good. I could hear it when I was preparing the meals and stuff like that, but um, evening service, I wasn't on dishes, so that was good, so I was able to sit in that. And he started off, I think the first 12 people, he had the word of the Lord for those 12 young people. But then it sort of opened up and that everybody went up. And I cringe a little bit because it then becomes mechanical from his soul rather than from the Holy Spirit. There's a danger that we need to just be aware of there. Um, he was a good guy. I've seen him since. Um, He's been along to the Lower Hut Pastors meetings when I've been there a couple of times that I've been, um, that he's been over from Australia. That's where he's from. It's nothing to do with being Australian. Um, overnight, it seems like they actually learned how to play rugby and they beat France. <laughs> Just to, yeah. Anyway. This is important. There are times when God tells you about something. He may not give you all of what you need to know, 
He gives you enough to start your thinking process of, okay, how will I do that? There is a time when you don't tell anyone, at least not yet. This is for mature people particularly. Uh, immature, probably going to blab it out, and therefore it may lose some of its purpose. It's the sin of presumption before you've got the whole picture. Um, he may not yet tell you the timing of something. I'm waiting on something for his timing at the moment, and it's taking a long time. But one day, it'll happen. Okay? So, um, don't talk about your guidance. I mean, just remember it says that Mary pondered these things in her heart. There's a time just to mull on it, just, just to... can't think of the word now. doesn't matter. Cogitate will do. Ruminate. Yeah, that would do. Just chew on it. Uh, Luke 9.36 But they kept quiet and told no one these things. Ecclesiastes 3.7 It's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Do you remember a number of times Jesus said, don't tell anyone. And I don't think he was meaning reverse psychology. Next one is that I want to share is about what I call the wise man principle. If you believe God has told you to sell your house, pay the mortgage back, give your car away and all your furniture because you're going to Pakistan as a missionary, I think you would want to be sure of that. Now, if you do get that call, I have over 100 invitations to Pakistan. I'll give you the list. That'll get you started. How do we resolve those sorts of issues? It's really quite simple. If you've ever done orienteering, did you ever do that? Yes, you did, Malcolm. I did it when I was in Boys Brigade. You get a map and a compass and you try and work out where you are by finding trig stations or some obvious point and you can draw a line on your map and usually you do three lines and there'll be a tiny little triangle in the middle and you're in the middle of the triangle because your reading's not precise. I would suggest you find three mature believers, including your pastoral leaders, and say to get them together and just say, this is what I believe God said, but I'm not moving until you are all in agreement with me. Or you're all in agreement with each other and you say that's a false word. See, that's why we have mature leaders of fellowships and so on. So you get, you get the three, you get a triangulation, and if they're not unified, you don't act on anything until such time as you are. It'll save you making a lot of trouble for yourselves. I think of a pastor friend of mine in Canada, because she didn't check out, she lost everything that she had to a thief. So, without going into all the details... And if you're wanting a scripture for that, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. Okay? Now, if it's a false word and you seek advice from three mature leaders and they all say yes, then they should help pay you out of the mess. 
Um, have you ever heard of anyone counterfeiting plastic bags? I know it's not done much nowadays. Um, I've got an American $2 note. They're very rare. I actually have two of them. Don't know why. And they've never been folded. Do you know, to be a genuine article from America, for example, it has to have a dead president on it. Okay? We have a living queen on ours, on some of them. But do you know what? I've got a million-dollar US note with the Statue of Liberty with a black eye. I've even got a $1 Canadian one. And it's never been folded either. Look at that. I'd forgotten about that. I've got another $1 million American note. And it's got the gospel written around it in small print. Ray Comfort did these. And the FBI raided his base and took the lot off him. Said this is counterfeiting. Look, I've even got a $1 million New Zealand note with the gospel written around the outside. See, people only counterfeit things of value. So prophecy is a thing of value. So you get counterfeits of those in astrology, in your horoscopes. I still remember... Um, I wrote to all the bookshops, the Christian bookshops in New Zealand that we were dealing with, and I went and visited quite a number of them in the couple of months afterwards, and I said, look, uh, why don't you guys look at having a, put a, a, a daily scripture in your local paper? Ask if you can put it beside the horoscopes. To the best of my knowledge, only one bookshop, and it was in Pakaranga, actually did that. Uh, it was a weekly paper, the local giveaway paper. So they put in seven days of scriptures and put that it was uh, paid for by the local Christian bookshop. When I went to visit them several months later, their turnover had trebled. And I've no idea how many people looked in that for their some guidance from their fairly low standard of understanding of God's purposes. So it can happen. You can make a difference. Okay. Um, people, as I say, people don't counterfeit plastic bags. There are times when opposition by man can be an approval from God. You remember when the disciples were uh, warned not to speak about this Jesus that they kept talking about? And they said, you choose who you serve, but we will not be silent. And we're so glad that they weren't, because we wouldn't be here if they'd shut their mouths and done what the religious elite had told them. Okay. There, some of the religious elite then 
and dare I even say it nowadays as well, they're as lost as a goose in a blizzard. Everyone has a unique ministry. You may not like mine. I get to travel, although not so much anymore. Um, in fact, the borders have closed. I'm supposed to be in Pennsylvania in September. And I've got so many hundreds and hundreds of invitations to India and Pakistan and Nepal and all over Africa. I think it's probably about 80 countries I've been invited to. Well, that's nice. Can't go. So we're looking at how do we get teaching out to people. Um, there's a, there's a well-known view of African Christians that they're a mile wide and an inch deep. They're not well trained. Um, but that would be true in most third world countries because their access to um, sort of a higher learning of level uh, although I still remember Derek Prince saying the more letters after a pastor's name, the less likely the church will grow. That's true in North America, I know that. Um, it's interesting, Peter Wagner did a uh, survey of that in, when he was professor of church growth in Fuller uh, Theological Seminary, and he, he said um, the ten largest churches in the United States had pastors who basically hadn't reached degree level in their understanding, but their churches were growing. Which I thought, well, that's interesting. But they were doers rather than just uh, theoreticians of the word. So I thought that was interesting. Find out what God wants for you. Let me give you this. It's come to mind, so maybe the Lord wants to give you a little challenge. Many years ago, um, Murray Robertson was... Uh, pastor, senior pastor of what was then called Spraden Baptist, now called Southwest Baptist. Uh, it had grown. He was a good teacher. He was filled with the Holy Spirit by accident. Um, that's a story in itself. Um, his church grew to about 300, 350, and it stopped growing. So he took the leaders away uh, for a retreat for a few days, and they came back. And they started small groups and they began to grow and they grew to about 750 and then stopped growing again. And again, Murray took all the leaders away to seek what the Lord wanted. And when they came back, the message on Sunday morning was rather blunt. I remember it at the time. I wasn't part of the church, but some friends were. Um, they... Now, this is a Baptist church. They were not allowed any meetings, no committees. The only meeting that was permitted at the moment until further notice was Sunday morning worship. All the committees were to stop. Everything was to stop. It was like, what? We're Baptists. We have to have committees. I mean, you know, God so loved the world, he didn't send a committee. So... The instruction was, go and seek for yourself what the Lord wants you to be doing. And for three whole weeks, there was nothing. Just, it was like a deathly silence in the whole congregation. And then finally, one woman went to one of the pastors. I think they had about six or eight pastors at the time. You sort of need one per hundred uh, in those sort of churches. Anyway... She said, look, I've got a real burden to go to the local prison, go visiting. So the following Sunday, 
uh, it was announced, sister so-and-so has a burden to go prison visiting. She's answerable to pastor so-and-so. After the service this morning, she will be in such and such a room. If you have a similar vision, go to the room and start working out how you're going to do that. Because she's accountable to pastor so-and-so, he will have a meeting next door in the next room for those who are going to pray every time they go into the prison because he will lead the prayer group. Do you know what happened after that? They even started their own bank. They had 40 lay-led ministries, every group answerable to one of the pastoral team, and their church grew so rapidly they had to meet in eight places. Okay? So it can happen. So what I'm saying is finding out what you're supposed to be doing individually, and you may find there are others who are a bit shy, um, you know, go and talk to the elders about what you feel the Lord is calling you to do. They'll confirm it or not. Don't sit on it forever because Jesus is coming back and then the books are closed. So we need to get busy. So, you know, you have an, every one of you, every one of us have a ministry calling and we actually have to get on with the job. You know, the real purpose of hearing from God is relationship. So I want to encourage you. He wants to hear from you, and he wants you to hear from him. It's a two-way street. Um, some years ago, Anne gave me a copy of a, bio, of a book um, by Mark, and I've forgotten his name, up in Tauranga. You know, the one about hearing from God. We had him speak at the summer school. Mark Holloway. Some of you may be familiar with his books. I read the book and I thought, oh, I wonder where this guy is. So I did a little search on the internet and I found out he lives in New Zealand. So I sent him an email and I said, uh, would you be interested in speaking at our conferences in the three main cities in January? And uh, so he emailed back and he said, well, that's uh, different. He said, um, I'll ring you at 7.30 tonight. And um, we got talking. Now, he talks obliquely about what happened, why he was hearing from God. Um, but he, we had a good chat and we arranged for them to come. The first one was in Lower Hut at the Big AOG there by the bridge. And um, I handed over to Mark, and Mark starts to explain that one of the reasons why he was needing to hear from God was that his wife of about 25 years had just left because she'd had enough of him. And so he's busy unpacking this on camera in front of, I don't know, about 300 people. <clears throat> and then at an appropriate time, Miriam, his wife, walks down, takes the microphone off him and says, let me tell you the other side of the story. They had reconciled just three weeks prior because he was hearing from God and adjusting things in his life. And I have to tell you that having even stayed in their home, it needed adjusting. 
He was, he was just a wee bit too dominating, but anyway. Very interesting thing, to capture that on camera, to record that, of that public reconciliation, their family knew about it, but nobody else did, was really quite special. And it was good that the communication began to be better because they were all then communicating, both then communicating with the Lord. So let me finish with Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, this is Jesus speaking, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. If you want stability in your life, search for the Holy Spirit to speak to you what God wants you to know and expect it to be a two-way communication. If you don't expect it, it may not happen. But if your expectation is there, I think you'll get surprised. You may not like some of the things he tells you, just like that lady in Britain. But rejoice in the correction when he brings it, because we all need that from time to time. And let God be God in relationship with you, so that you're blessed. Let me pray. Father, I, I pray for open hearts to hear what your spirit is saying to each of us as it's relevant to our life and circumstances and family and community. I pray too for ears to hear what your spirit is saying, whether it's through some communication from each other, knowingly or unknowingly of that. Because sometimes, Lord, we hear things that someone else says and we think, oh, I think that's the Lord telling me something. Maybe the missing piece of the puzzle that you're trying to work your way through. So, Father, open our ears to hear. Open our hearts to receive. And in the appropriate times and ways, open our mouths to share your love and your power and your need for relationship with every human being. Bless us, Lord, now. Be glorified in our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen.